Osio Taishu Shadanalai. I'm Jay Winter Night Wolf, and this is the Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I have a very special guest today, one that has a story that should be told over and over again. We'll be back in just a moment to introduce her to you. From the East, House of Light, may wisdom dawn in us, so we may see all things in clarity. From the North, House of Night, may wisdom ripen in us, so we may know all from within. From the West, House of Transformation, may wisdom be transformed into right action, so we may do what must be done. From the South, House of Eternal Sun, May right action reap the harvest so we may enjoy the fruits of planetary beings. From above, house of heaven, where star people and ancestors gather, may their blessings come to us now. From below, house of earth, may the heartbeat of her crystal care bless us with the harmonies to end all war. From the center, galactical source, which is everywhere at once, May everything be known as the light of mutual law. O Hamya, all hail the harmony of mind and nature. Welcome back to the Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I'm Jay Winter Night Wolf, and my guest today, Dr. Common Johnson. Dr. Johnson received her PhD from Opus Dei, the Catholic Church, for her humanitarian work from the Pope. She was born in Blythewood, South Carolina, and grew up in Maryland. She was a successful businesswoman in Maryland. She ran a for-profit business and offered credit restoration, debt negotiations, household budgeting, preparation for bankruptcy, and did loans by paying off people's debt. She reported these loans and services to credit agencies. However, in her career, it was cut short because she became a victim of the judicial system of the state of Maryland and the federal government. And I'm here to talk to her about everything that she wants to talk about, but especially her experiences with the judicial system in Maryland and the federal government. 
It's my pleasure and my honor to introduce to you my sister and my friend, who is, by the way, a black Native woman, Native American woman, Carmen Johnson. Carmen, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you with us today. So let's just I'm get... I'm honored to be here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into this this case, to, you know, your common story. I would like to read a little bit about it. For the past five years, Carmen R. Johnson, Ph.D., has been fighting for exoneration by judges in the court. She has gone all the way to the Supreme Court with no remedy, and she is now back in the appellate court, continuing to seek justice as of August the 24th, 2020. Carmen stated, even though I am still fighting in their courts, I do not see a remedy for me. I understand the difference between exoneration and a pardon. Based on Article 72, I am asking the president to look into my case and grant me a full pardon. Only the courts can decide to exonerate me, and I have no faith in that system. I am not asking for forgiveness. However, I am asking the President of the United States for justice by way of a full pardon. Carmen, how did you get to this point in your life? What happened? I started off with becoming the housing sheriff for Prince George's County, Maryland, um, NAACP. And um, around that time, foreclosures was running rapid through the, the, the black community. And, um, and then I became the, the, the housing chair for the state conference uh, NAACP of Maryland, which became statewide. And I was trying to get a moratorium to freeze the illegal foreclosures that was going on in the state of Maryland and in the, the black community. And that's when it actually all kind of got started with uh, people of another color was mad because I was doing this. I received phone calls from very powerful white men in the state of Maryland uh, telling me to go back on the news to uh, say that we didn't have any foreclosure issues in the state of Maryland, and I refused to do that hmm. because I knew that that was a lie, not to mention foreclosures was hitting the United States very hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the black and Latino community were hit even harder. Um, so I certainly wasn't going to go back on the news to say I made a mistake and that we don't have any foreclosure issues. I wasn't going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but as the housing chair for the state conference NAACP, I also thought that I had protection by the NAACP, and I learned very fast that I did not. Hmm. Um, you know, I asked them several times um, that I needed bodyguards, that I was being followed, um, that the bank investigators were following me, the feds were following me. Um, 
I was being run off the road. Uh, that happened several times. They was uh, coming in and out of my home when I wasn't there. Um, when I went to make speeches at different places, they were taking pictures of me. They was calling me in the middle of the night, calling me the, the N-word. Um, mm. it, was, it was a horrible experience. I went through it absolutely alone. My biggest fight was the fact that they were destroying black families. Mm. And in the world, the rumors are the fact that, you know, men of color don't marry women of color. Men of color only have babies by women of color. Mm -hmm. um, but these were colored families. These mm -hmm. were, you know, mothers and fathers and, and, and children. So my fight was bigger than the legal foreclosures. It was more so about keeping these black families together or these families of, of color together. Right. However, you know, they were being put out of their homes. So in essence, it was how dare you challenge us and talking about us, that white power structure. All of this was done as reprisal for you refusing to go back in the public and say that you had made a mistake. Am I correct? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So tell us about um, how this all culminated to a point that uh, it ended up in the judicial system. Well, I'm not sure quite how they did that, but what I can say is that they slid me in a real mortgage bank and conspiracy to commit wire fraud case. And it was 14 Africans that were actually charged initially, mm -hmm. and they all took a plea. So this case they slid me into, which they slid me into a real case. And I was the only one that refused to take a plea. Mm -hmm. However, two of the um, Africans were realtors. And in my for-profit business back in, you know, the early 2000s, my company offered different financial services to the community. I worked very closely with the, the major banks, the mortgage companies, and real estate agents all around the United States. So I didn't think twice of these two particular African realtors. It, 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 I just didn't think that, you know, they were professional. They appeared to be professional. They worked for Long and Foster or some mm -hmm. top real estate company that I also, you know, was doing business with other realtors in, in that particular branch. So I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was strictly about, you know, credit restoration, mm -hmm. debt arbitration and all of that stuff, financial planning and preparing people for whatever loan, whether it was for student loans, whether it was to help them get credit cards, Mm -hmm. and I really mm -hmm. wasn't a, a big advocate on 
home uh, purchasing for my people because a lot of them I knew was not ready based on the household budget that I had them on. Right. So uh, a, a lot of times I would explain to the banks and explain to the mortgage companies and explain to the realtors, this person is, is not ready yet for the house, the amount that you guys are trying to get a loan for is too much for their household budget. It wasn't in the stars for them at that time. Right, exactly. So I never was an advocate for pushing my people into purchasing homes. You know, economics is um, is something new to us, to most of us. Right. Where, you know, that's my background, accounting, financial literacy, economics, all of that. That's all my background. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I studied. So I knew who was ready and who wasn't ready. But I also knew that uh, a bus was coming. I knew that something was going to happen in that housing market. And the reason why I knew that is because they kept coming up with so many creative mortgage loans. They kept, right. It, it was the, the weirdest and the strangest. And the scores kept dropping lower and lower and lower and lower for a person to be able to purchase a home. Whereas when I first started, when I first opened my business in 1998, I mean, you know, you had to have a score of 700 or 680, 700, 720, somewhere around in there. Mm-hmm. But then... They started coming up with these loans, these creative loans, where you only needed a 450 credit score or a 500 credit score. I remember like, that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Like, mm-hmm. it, it baffled me. So I wasn't a, a strong advocate for my people purchasing homes. I was a strong advocate for them saving their money and, and understanding credit and, and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But, you know, at that time, they were pushing those loans through the banks, the mortgage companies, the real estate agents. But I they, had nothing to, to do with that, nor did I have control over that. They were just, so, giving, they were just giving loans to anybody back then. I remember that. All you needed was a heartbeat. Well, you know what? Let me hit something else. In March of 2011, Mm -hmm. your home and businesses were raided. However, Mm -hmm. you talked to the prosecutor, and you were told that no laws, statutes, or codes were broken, and you were relieved. But in July of 2014, men with guns appeared at your home. In the early Mm -hmm. morning, they seized all of your texts paid assets and called them substitute assets. And mm-hmm. they told you that you were not cooperating, so they took you to jail. This is so crazy. Mm-hmm. And you were indicted on 24 counts of mortgage, bank, and wire fraud, along with these 14 other Africans. Well, these 14 Africans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and all 14 took a plea, except me. I refused to take a plea. Was something you didn't I, do. I, I couldn't imagine lying on myself and, and, and say I did something when I did not do, especially when I was a strong advocate against home purchasing because I knew that 
a lot of my people was not ready, and nor did they understand the 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 aspect of the the loan process and and the mortgage documents and and things of that nature. So I wasn't a big advocate for pushing home ownership, mm-hmm. and and I'm really not now. <laughs> I know, but um, I, I I wasn't a big advocate of that. I was more of an advocate of save your money. Right. credit straight and save your money. Until you can get in, um, get into a position that you can handle it, right? Exactly. And oh. to be disciplined enough to be able to handle it. Okay. But it got, yeah, it got to the point where the, the banks and the mortgage companies and the realtors, I mean, they were, they were, they were vicious about it. I mean, it got to the point where they were, they were telling me, hey, you need to mind your business. We sent you these clients so you can, you know, get their scores up or pay their debts off. This is what we need you to do. So it was really an un- unfortunate situation. But, yeah, they, they seized my assets, and they, they called it substitute assets, which is illegal. Mm-hmm. They are not allowed to take your money unless um, they can pinpoint it to a crime. Mm-hmm. However, um, they did indict me on false charges, but they still, of course, called it substitute assets, nor would they give me an evidentiary hearing to prove that my assets were clean. You didn't get due process. I didn't get due process, period. So you you dealt mostly with real estate agents, mortgage companies, and major banks for years by offering, yeah, offering their clients services and paying off their debts. And in essence, you were a victim of those same banks, mortgage companies, title companies. Right. But they wasn't, they wasn't implicated. Not even the real estate company that these two head Africans worked for, which is odd to me. So you want to implicate me who do the, the credit. And I know nothing about what happens when you leave out my door, but your real estate agents did this. You're not going to implicate the actual real estate company. You're not going to implicate the, the title company. You're not going to implicate, you know, what, as I sat at trial, because I was the only one with the trial, but as I sat at trial and how the, the appraisers were producing homes that were shelled, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you're not going to implicate the, the appraisers? Like, I'm confused. But, I mean, I knew what it was. I knew that I was politically hit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understood what was, was happening. I just couldn't stop it. I didn't know who to, to call. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was I wasn't going to take a plea for something I didn't do. Was I scared? Yes, I was scared. But mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around lying on myself saying that I did something when I did not do anything. Okay. And the last the last plea that they offered me was for ten and a half years. And I think about that every morning when I'm brushing my teeth, I could be still sitting in, in that clinic camp doing that those ten and a half years. Okay, okay. Because of what happened to you, are you entitled to any benefits or rights? Like uh, unemployment insurance and that type of thing, or what? Nothing. I did try to get my Social Security SSDI because I paid into it all of those years. Mm-hmm. 
and they uh, they gave me a hard time with that. I researched that, and then, of course, I found out that they don't like to give SSD to people that are coming home from prison. Well, and, um, I think somebody dropped a dime on you. Somebody got in somebody's ear at that agency and dropped a dime on you. So well, I con- yeah, I contacted a congresswoman. She contacted Social Security Administration. This was just a couple of months ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they put my case back in front of the same judge who denied me SSDI. And mm-hmm. so the SSDI attorney said, well, I don't, I don't want to go back in front of that judge because the appeals process kicked it back to down to this particular SSDI judge. Not to mention, at that point, I had reported him to Congress also. So mm-hmm. the, the attorney didn't want to go back in front of that judge. So I just tried to fight it or anything like that. Okay. Well, look, we're going to take a quick break and come back and continue this conversation. Uh, and when we get back, I want to talk about um, the trial that you went through. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and this is Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. We'll be back in a few minutes after these announcements. Imagine that night, tensions high, a nation torn apart, a plot here in Baltimore City to assassinate a newly elected president on his way to inauguration and to plunge the country into chaos. Abraham Lincoln disembarked at this train station and under pre-dawn skies made his way unscathed and on to greatness. In the days ahead, we may face a crisis of similar proportion, an outlaw president clinging to power and defying the will of the people. For four years, many have said there will come a moment. Well, this is the moment because this ballot is like none ever cast. Now I'm a lifelong Republican and I'm still a Republican, but this ballot is how we restore the soul of our nation, electing a good man, Joe Biden, and a trailblazer, Kamala Harris, and ensure an orderly transfer of power or plunge our country into chaos. America or Trump? I choose America. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. My guest today is my my sister, my friend, a black American Indian woman who is an abolitionist and a fighter and uh, a humanitarian and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, good stuff. She was a victim. She is still a victim of the judicial system of the state of Maryland and the federal government. Carmen. Yeah. In 2015, you went to trial. Yeah. And the jury appeared to be a blue ribbon uh, jury. What is your, what do you mean by blue ribbon? Well, it appeared to be a fake jury. Um, And the reason why I say that is because they never once looked at me. They just looked at the prosecutor. They looked back at the judge. They looked at the prosecutor. They looked back at the judge. That was one thing. But a blue ribbon jury is normally a special jury set aside for special cases. So I believe that it was uh, a blue ribbon jury. So it's not a jury of your peers. Well, it's never a jury of your peers. Because a jury of my peers would have been 
uh, people who specialize in financial literacy and credit and debt management and, and things of that nature. People but that people that look like you, right? That too. Mm-hmm. That that too. But you know, also the the whole trial. You know, ninety nine percent of the trial was about those documents that the, the Africans had had done the transactions that they had done. So that documentation I had never seen before. So they found me guilty on those people's crimes, uh, crimes on my people. So you and, were you uh, were prosecuted for a crime you did not commit. Somebody else committed it. Yeah, I didn't commit though. I didn't I didn't do that. Um I'm, I'm a there's no way that I would do something like that. I certainly wouldn't steal from my country to for it to be given to another country. There's just no way that I would do anything like that. Not to mention the two-head Africans got on the stand, and it, it is in the transcript where um, they both said she didn't know about our scam, nor did she financially benefit. Um, one, of them, one of them said, however, she did know we were realtors, and then the other one said, well, she did work on our client's credit. And that's not a crime to do that? I was licensed by the state of Maryland. Okay. And, and registered with the Better Business Bureau. So you ended up uh, serving 44 months in a West Virginia prison work camp as you fought yes. your case by going all the way to the Supreme Court with no remedy. Absolutely. And now I'm back in the appellate court again. Mm-hmm. And then you came, you came home in 2018. Yes. And now serving five years probation and order. Yes, I got about, yeah, got about three and a half years left to go on that. And then they have ordered you to pay $2 million. 2.4 million dollars in restitution payments on crimes you did not commit or benefit from without you even having due process. Exactly. And they arrested me immediately at trial when the jury found me guilty. They called me ISIS. They called me a terrorist. The prosecutor, Miss O'Malley, she said that they had to protect their streets. They had to protect the county. They had to protect the state of Maryland from me. So I wasn't given the benevolence to um, handle my business affairs or my personal affairs. They arrested me immediately. And threw me in um, a Washington, D.C. jail and threw me in solitary confinement. And it was court order for me to sit in solitary confinement for the next four and a half months. The four and a mm. half months later was the sentencing. Mm. So, but, however, the psychiatrist there released me into general population after about eight or nine days. So I did not uh, see over roads. The, uh, the court order for me to sit in solitary confinement for four and a half months. Well, you, as a result of all that you have experienced being a victim of the judicial system and some very evil people, you now, right. you now suffer from extreme PTSD with daily nightmares of, of, of raids, trial, and prison. And you're still trying to endure continuing to fight for yourself and others by working with grassroots organizations on mentorship, the injustice system, and police brutality. 
How do you do it? How do you do it after all you've gone through? My my ancestors and the universe. Mm-hmm. They speak to you, right? Well, so they they come to me in dreams. Um, my grandmother uh, was Cherokee, so she taught my brother and I at a young age about um, the power of dreams. And mm-hmm. when we uh, moved from South Carolina, my brother and I to to Maryland, um, which my grandmother stayed in South Carolina, she you know, explain to my brother and I, we were like four and five, you know, how to communicate to her by way of the moon. And mm-hmm. um, it's making me emotional. Um, That's okay because I understand all of that. I've got on one side of my family, my mother's people, they're all Cherokee people. So I understand that I grew up under a great, not a great grandmother, but a great grandmother. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all about spirit. Right. Continue to talk because uh, the people that listen to this need to hear this because this is some truth that is that, that will never reach the airways unless there are people like me to put it out there. So, you know, continue to tell us about that, those experiences with Grandma. Well, I mean, she just, she taught us about nature and, a lot about the the Indian traditions, mm-hmm. traditions, and again, like I said, one of the things was the the power of dreams and what some people may think is weird. You know, I certainly wouldn't talk about it on a you know mainstream media, but the power of astral projection. Mm-hmm. And things of that nature. Uh, um, you can talk about it here, sis. You can talk about it here. Well, you know, she taught us about those things and, you know, you know, the lining, you know, of the stars and, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And, you know, she was just an incredible woman. And her spirit, along with my other ancestors, walked with me or walked through me when I was at that prison camp because when I got to that prison camp, I didn't even know what my name was. I didn't know my name. I didn't know how I got there. I didn't know who I was. But it's funny because I remember being a Christian and um, I've been a practicing Buddhist for over 20-something years now as an adult. But with my mother, when we moved to Maryland, we uh, grew up in Pentecostal. So that particular seed was also planted. But the old ways of, um, of the, the, the Cherokees that my grandmother taught me about, was all that seed was also planted inside me. So when I got to that prison camp, number one, I thought that I was Christian. I remembered that, even though I wasn't Christian anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. But I thought that I was Christian. So I knew that I was protected by the Holy Spirit. But I also knew that I was protected by my grandmother and and her people. And I knew that. 
So I knew that I, the ancestors were with me, and I knew that, you know, that the Christian um, upbringing was with me. I knew that I wasn't a criminal. I knew that. I knew that I wasn't an animal because some of those people were reacting like animals there. I knew that I was a cha- I wasn't a child. I knew that I knew all of those things, but it was like I had amnesia with so much that happened to me, the trauma. Like I couldn't remember uh, conversations. I couldn't remember people's names. I couldn't. I just it was just it was just a horrible experience. But mm-hmm. the the spirit. The ancestors, the universe kept me protected. I started out at that prison camp being called the, uh, the, the crazy woman on the compound because people would tell me stories that I would walk around the compound in a daze asking people, walking up to people, well, women, have they seen the sun? Have you seen the sun? Have you seen the sun? Have you seen the sun? Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of different women there told me that. But after I got myself together, it took all about a year, and I remembered that I was a practicing Buddhist. I remembered that I was an activist. I remembered that I was a humanitarian. I remembered a lot of the things that my grandmother had, had taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, you know, looking around me and started seeing that, you know, I was being mistreated by the guards and the staff, the other women were being mistreated by the guards and the staff, and I started, you know, I filed a lawsuit in West Virginia Courthouse, and the prison that I was in, that prison camp that I was in, and as I was filing documents and paperwork and and things of that nature, my sisters, my two sisters, um, which still live in South Carolina, they were uh, filing the documentation to Congress, everybody in Congress and everybody in the Senate mm-hmm. on what was going on at that prison camp. I mean, we had uh, little to no medical care. We had no mental health treatment. You know, I was drugged on the floor. Um, I was strangled by guards. I refused to answer to inmates. I refused to, whether it was inmate or inmate Johnson, I refused to answer to that because I was not a criminal. I was not an inmate. I, I refused to, to submit to being a monster, a criminal, an animal, a, a child. Some, some women I watched come in there as women and next thing I know they were acting like little kids. I refused to submit to their establishment, to that establishment. Mm-hmm. to that label, to that title, to to that lifestyle. And so I spent my time, I took the paralegal course, and then I took the advanced studies paralegal course. That when I took the advanced studies, that's when I found out about the Blue Ribbon um, jury. That's how I found out about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's when I realized I had a Blue Ribbon jury. I studied the paralegal. I was there, got certified in that. And like I said, I just started filing lawsuits left and right on them. And my sister was contacting, you know, Congress and the Senate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, they had the place raided. Uh, Congressman Cummings, who now has, you know, transitioned uh, with our ancestors. And another congressman who's still alive, who I'll, I will mention in my book, mm-hmm. and a senator, a female senator who um, I will mention in my book, 
but they were instrumental in getting the place raided and also getting me out of there sooner than later. Okay, okay. So now your attorney has recently filed a writ of error, Coram Novus, and you're exactly. and you're back in the appeals court. Well, Greenbelt, Maryland's court is sat on the judge's desk for like a year before hmm. the judge would even rule on it, and then finally the judge denied it. So my attorney and I and we talked about it. I'm like, I'm not going to already say my political hit started right there. Like, I'm not going to file an appeal in their court. Like, let's just move on to the appeals court. And mm-hmm. that's what we did. And it's, it's so funny because when my uh, attorney first wrote the writ of air form notice motion, I couldn't get past page two. Like, mentally, I couldn't handle it. So mm-hmm. my two sisters had to read it and make sure everything was right. And then they gave the okay for him to file it in the appeals court. So he filed it August 24th, 2020 in the appeals court. Okay. And that air, that writ of air form notice, it technically means that either the prosecutor is lying or the court's lying or someone's lying or something's not right with this case. And these are the things that are, are not right. And these are the things that need to be looked at. Most attorneys don't like filing a writ of air quorum notice because that's what it means. It's going against the establishment that they are a part a of. A part of, right. Now, um, so we're going to take another quick break and come back. And when we come back, I want to talk about um, your family who has assisted in starting a new nonprofit called Helping Ourselves to Transform, which deals with the needs of returning citizens, educating the public on mass incarceration, and the injustice going on through the legal system. Don't go away. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and this is the Indigenous People's Reality Media. I'll be right back. Don't go away.
I'm Jay Winter Night Wolf, and this is Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. My guest is a very good friend of mine and sister. Her name is Carmen Johnson. And we've been talking about some very, very, very crazy stuff that this judicial system of America and the state of Maryland has put her through, accusing her of a crime she did not commit or anything else. Carmen, you know, since um, you're back home, I have to take my hat off to your family for sticking with you so long. And that's what families do. They assisted you in starting a new nonprofit called Helping Ourselves to Transform. And basically, this is about educating the public on mass incarceration, the needs of returning citizens, the injustice going through the legal system. And after all that, Carmen is still giving back. You're giving back to the community. You are the victim, and you are not guilty of anything. Right. I think what, what the street lingo is, they frame me. Exactly. It's your right as a United States citizen to ask the President of the United States, regardless of who he is, full pardon, and to get your freedom back from this injustice system. And, you know, you probably have heard from some folks, well, uh, you support Trump. No, it's not about who you support. It's about the office and the seat of the presidency of the United States. And you have a right to petition based on all of this, a pardon. Tell me about that. How's that going so far? Well, number one, my my family is just incredible. So I just want to say that my parents and my um, sisters and my brother and my daughter and um, my aunts and my my cousins 
I have locks of them, my mm-hmm. nieces and my nephews. Well, on my mother's side, which are the, the Cherokees, we, we come from a close-knit family. Like, family is everything. Yeah. And we stand with our family um, no matter what. So I just wanted you to share that. Like, that's just, we was just, we, we was brought in this world on family. Family is everything. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that a lot in um, the, the, the black community. Unfortunately, we are just so dissected and divided and, and, and things of that nature. And it's just really unfortunate because we really need to, to go back to the old ways of, of, of family and mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. which is, which is really important. Number two, I wanted to just say about the parting aspect, the most important thing that I'm asking the president of the United States, whoever it is, the chief and commanding officer, to first investigate my case. So I'm not asking for forgiveness, and I'm just not asking for a pardon. The very first thing that I'm asking for is for the chief and commanding officer of the United States to look into my case, to investigate my case, and then based under Article 72 to grant me a full pardon, which will do away with that probation that they have me under, which is called low risk or something that's really ridiculous, mm-hmm. but low risk probation. Um, that 2.4 million restitution that they got me under and also to get back the money that they took from me and, uh, labeled it substitute assets. Um, so not in any form or fashion am I asking for forgiveness because I've done nothing wrong. I'm asking for the president to investigate my case. Now I know he personally is not going to, but he'll have a team or appoint mm-hmm. someone or something to that effect because I've gotten phone calls and emails the president not going to investigate or I know that but he will appoint someone to do that like I know mm-hmm. that I'm not dumb mm-hmm. you know and then not to mention the president cannot exonerate me or vindicate me but he can grant me a full pardon um, and only the court can exonerate or vindicate me and I don't trust in this system that put me in this predicament from the from the the, the giddy up, especially when I went all the way to the Supreme Court. And mm-hmm. the Supreme Court said, well, she had little to do with the crime. However, this is the blower right here. A jury of her peers found her guilty. And they were not your peers. Then, they were okay, appointed okay. by the prosecution. Thank you. Uh-huh. So this is what our Supreme Court said. Mm. And it, 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 it broke my heart. But I have to keep going. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I have to start spreading my eggs and putting them in different baskets. And, I, you know, my attorney, who is just the most honest man, you know, mm-hmm. just an honest guy. And I'm like, you don't understand because he's down in Florida. My sister's fired the, the, the Maryland attorney and hired a law firm down in Florida. And I tell my attorney all the time, you you clean cut. Like, you don't get it. Like, these folks up here are dirty. Like, you don't understand. Like, you, you sit in straight by the law, but people up here, this is not what 
you know, he, his whole thing is right is right. And I'm like, I get it. I understand. But I, I feel like I'm fighting the air. I feel like I'm fighting a, a ghost. I feel like I'm, like, I can't see what I'm, I'm fighting here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so now on the personal note, I'm going straight public opinion. I'm going public with speaking out. Hey, I need the president to investigate my case. Right. That's okay. huge. It is huge. People don't ask. People don't ask. They ask for a pardon, but they don't ask for their case to be investigated. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for the president to investigate my case. That's how emphatical I am about what they did to me. Okay. And if they did this to me, I'm sure they have done this to others. Except the others were too afraid and they went on and took a plea and, and, and things of that nature. But I, even though I was scared, I couldn't lie on myself. I couldn't, that, I couldn't wrap my mind around, around that. Like, okay, so I'm scared. Let me think about this, but I'm going to lie to make you feel better and say that I did something so you can get your numbers up. And then I'm going to go to, to jail for 10 and a half years. And then you say I'm ISIS and I'm a terrorist, but then you send me to a camp that has no bars, walls, guns, no nothing. Like, I'm confused. It just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Carmen, let me, let me say thank you for giving me your time today for this interview. And thank you. As this progress, will you come back again and we continue to talk about this? Absolutely. Well, I can tell you this. You got a friend in me because injustice anywhere is unjust. And uh, I'm 73 years old. And I don't think I'm too old to recognize the truth in all of this. And I just want to let you know that I'm in your corner. You don't ever have to doubt that. Okay. I appreciate that. Any closing thoughts? And um, can you give out your website so people can go to it and and follow this along with all of us? You know, I guess my closing thought is when I think about, um, you know, how when, you know, some people may not like what I'm getting ready to say, but how, you know, when the white man came and and took our land and um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that and how we fought. You know, we fought so hard. That energy is in me because I'm fighting so hard. And we we can't stop fighting. Like, we can't be afraid of, of, of them. Mm-hmm. We have to keep fighting for what's, what's right and what's ours. Absolutely. And my, and my God, we have to stick together. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't. Okay, well, you this percentage Indian, and you're this percentage no, Native, no, and this no. and that. Like we, we have to stick together. We have to figure out how do we as tribes come together. Like you know, my father is part Seminole, my mother is part Cherokee. I mean, we have to come together and figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just emotional. But I know uh, my what. My website is um, CarmenStory.org, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-S-T, 
T-O-R-Y.org. You can please go to the website. I just started the, the petition a few weeks ago, and if you could just sign that petition, mm-hmm. um, that would be appreciated. Not a problem, but before I let you go, I I have to tell you this. The chief of the Piscataway Indian Nation in Maryland is an old man. He's a very close friend of mine. About 15 years ago, I interviewed him on the radio show I had, and the subject matter was who is an Indian. So I asked him, I said, Uncle Billy, who is an Indian? And he said to me, I'll tell you the truth, Night Wolf. He said, an Indian is one who carries the sacred ancient blood of the Western Hemisphere in his or her veins. He said, I don't care if it's got black in it, if it's got Asian in it, or any other color in it. If you carry that blood, then you are an Indian. And if you don't, then you belong to a special tribe. I said, what tribe is that? He said, the Wanabis. I said, the Wanabis? He said, yeah, the wannabes. And I, I never forgot that. So, you know, if you carry the blood, the sacred blood of the Western Hemisphere in your veins, then you are yeah. an Indian. And I want to thank you again, Carmen. Don't give up. Keep fighting. You are a true warrior woman. And you got an old brother beside you, so don't ever think that you can't win because you can. And it's not over until it's over. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and I want to say thank you all for listening this evening to my friend, Dr. Carmen Johnson, and her case against the U.S. government and the state of Maryland. I'll leave you with these words in Cherokee. And before I do that, my grandfather used to always tell us it's not about the pigmentation of your skin or the color of your eyes or the texture of your hair or the clothes you wear or who you, that deity that you pray to and call God. Do you know what it's all about? It's how you treat my heart. Danada, Kauai, Wado. If the white man wants to live in peace, With the Indian, he can live in peace. There need be no trouble. Treat all men alike. Give them all the same law. Give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, 
free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers, free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself.